Hello, yoga teacher. Welcome to episode 22. This episode is all about how to develop and strengthen the habit of your personal yoga practice. Most yoga teachers are in agreement about the importance of a personal practice. When you talk, talk to teacher trainers and those who mentor yoga teachers, we all emphasize the necessity of a regular personal practice in order to develop teaching skills, keep ourselves inspired, and experience all the other benefits of a regular yoga practice. However, many of the yoga teachers that I have spoken to recently struggle to maintain their personal practice. If you struggle with this, I want you to know that I don't think there's anything wrong with you. In fact, I think you are perfectly human. One of the things I've been pondering a lot lately is how incredibly skillful humans are at surviving and how terrible we are at thriving. Pretty much everybody these days knows on an intellectual level the importance of exercise and eating right. When it comes to implementing this knowledge, though, almost everybody falls short. If you ask them why, some will have excuses about why it's harder for them than for everybody else. But many people are perplexed about why they can't seem to do what they know would be of great benefit to them. As yoga teachers, our self-judgment about a lack of a personal, regular personal practice can play a role in the background. When we go through teacher training, the importance of a personal practice is often emphasized, but the actual nuts and bolts of how to make one stick is glossed over or completely ignored. I think this leads to an unspoken assumption that it's simply a matter of discipline and those who struggle are simply less motivated, which kind of implies less devoted. And I definitely believe that those of us who train teachers are not intending to cast judgment on the people in our programs. But when we teach the Yoga Sutras and we emphasize the importance of tapas or discipline without providing tools to develop it, it can trigger an already set pattern of internal shame. And this may prevent a yoga teacher from talking about or reaching out for help with their personal practice. In Light on the Yoga Sutras by BKS Iyengar, he identifies four types of yoga practitioners, mild, medium, keen, and intense. This is a direct quote from the book. If the sadhaka's intensity of practice is great, the goal is closer. If he slackens his efforts, the goal recedes in proportion to his lack of willpower and intensity. Setting aside the use of the masculine, this book was published in 1966, and at that time we did, we did have a different understanding of how willpower works. But knowing what we know now, I believe that to lay out these stages of intensity without any advice on how to move along does a huge disservice to the practitioner. And frankly, as yoga teachers, we need to be first and foremost yoga practitioners. Being practitioners means having a regular personal practice. Our new understanding of neurobiology, mostly from the past decade, so this is really recent stuff, 
shows that many outside factors influence our ability to demonstrate discipline and our capacity to perform habitual action is malleable. What that means is that it's not this internal set state of either you have discipline or you don't, but there are lots of external factors, some of which you can change to support your ability to be disciplined. Another really important discovery is that our ability to use willpower to make conscious decisions is limited. So as you use your willpower throughout the day, you have fewer and fewer resources to use it again until you rest and replenish. Also, the more demands you have on your decision making, the more carefully you need to guard your resources. If you treat your yoga practice as a decision that needs to be made daily, you're counting on willpower to make it happen. And this can work when you have more resources, but it will not work at times when you're depleted. That's why making your personal practice a decision is destined to make it irregular. The workaround is to make your practice a habit instead of a decision. According to The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, Habits have three components, a cue, a behavior, and a reward. And every single action that we take on a habitual basis has all three of these, although we may only be conscious of the middle piece, the behavior. Decisions take place in the prefrontal cortex. That's the newest and most resource-intensive part of our brain. A habitual action, on the other hand, it takes place in the basal ganglia region of the brain. This is a very old part of our brain that coordinates movement and activity without conscious thought. Using the basal ganglia saves our brain a ton of energy, so our brain is very motivated to use habits whenever possible. Overriding habitual behavior that's already established is difficult, but if we understand how habits work, we can use that understanding to manipulate our habitual behavior for our own benefit, and we can also use it to create new habits. When you're looking to create a new habit, like a regular yoga and meditation practice, the most powerful part of this equation is the reward. If you don't get the reward right, your brain won't pick up the habit. The reward needs to be immediate because your brain will not associate long-term benefits with a specific behavior. Remember, we're trying to bypass the logical thinking part of our brain and have the deeper, older, quicker part of our brain pick up on the habit. So when we understand long-term benefits, that's a logical understanding and it happens in the prefrontal cortex. So even though it's great to know and we want to use the prefrontal cortex to, to figure out which habits we want to create, but ultimately we're trying to transfer the work into the basal ganglia. If you're struggling with making your personal practice into a habit, then it's very likely that the natural intrinsic reward of how you feel afterwards isn't strong enough to create a habit at this time. So you'll benefit from thinking of some kind of additional reward you can give yourself to strengthen the neural pathways of habit. You can literally eat a small piece of chocolate at the end of your practice if you like chocolate to help you build these pathways. Once you've determined a sufficiently compelling and immediate reward, then it's time to identify a trigger for the behavior. 
also according, all this information is from The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. So according to Duhigg, triggers fall into one of five categories, a time, a location, certain people, an emotion, or a preceding action. You only need one of these, but you can definitely use more than one in order to strengthen the effect. What that might look like is that you'll practice at the same time, in the same place, with the same people if you're practicing with people, and after the same preceding actions. So how this looks for me is my weekdays have a lot of regimentation and regularity and my weekends don't. So I generally practice five days a week at the same time in the same place. And I also practice on weekends, but I do so in the less effective make a decision sort of way. So sometimes the asana portion doesn't happen, but I always end my day with a meditation. So I know I have that. And, you know, it's like after I get ready for bed, those are the preceding actions. And then before I go to sleep, that's the last thing I do. Over time, as the neural pathways in your basal ganglia deepen, it will become easier and easier to come to your mat or your cushion. It won't even be a thought anymore. For the rest of the episode, I'm going to share a few more hints on habit creation from The Power of Habit, the book I mentioned earlier, and I will have a link to find it in the show notes. I listened to it because another one of the habits that is really supportive for me is I have a habit of walking and listening to either podcasts or books on tape. And so I really love learning while I move. It's really nourishing for me. Many people find that having an accountability partner is super helpful for creating habits. I tend to be a little resistant to that because I'm more of an introvert and I have also had so many experiences where people kind of let me down. <laughs> like I would try to have an accountability partner and then, you know, you, you it's got to be both ways. But right now I'm super, super grateful that my 16-year-old daughter is my accountability partner. On weekday mornings, we wake up at 6 a.m. and we meet up in the living room to practice. She does not call what she does yoga. She calls it warming up or exercising, and I'm definitely not going to correct her, but just between you and me, she does yoga. Another thing that helps is to ritualize your practice in whatever way you can. So think of something you can do at the beginning to signal the beginning of your practice, like lighting a candle, you could ring a singing bell or chant a mantra, and also something at the end, which is, I think, why... So many yoga classes end with the same chant or the same, you know, prayer. Find small wins to celebrate. Each week that my daughter and I successfully get together and do our practice the entire week, on Fridays, I will take her out for coffee before school. And so that's, it's not huge, but it's special. And it really is a way of marking some incremental progress. Also know that belief is critical. If you can identify that deep down, you don't believe that you can do it, you're gonna self-sabotage, even if that's playing in the background and you don't realize that's happening. The human brain is very malleable. If you weren't able to build this habit, you would actually be the exception rather than the rule. 
So The Power of Habit, the book, is filled with compelling stories about people who built new habit pathways against all odds. For example, there's a man who lost his short-term memory but still was building new habit patterns. So the stories in that book are super, super interesting. This is all to say that I absolutely believe you can do this, even if you've struggled in the past. And I believe that you can build any habit you choose if you create a strong enough structure to support it. If you want an accountability partner, I hope you'll come onto the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group to find one. We have, I believe, about a thousand members right now, so we're growing pretty quickly. And you might have to try a few times. Like I said, I have had some, you know, some people let me down, but if you are clear that you're really motivated and you make the commitment, I bet that you can find somebody that will, you can check in with every day. It's helpful to be in the same time zone at least and to just check in via text after you did your practice. Give each other like, you know, high fives and kudos and all of that. If you're not a member of the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group yet, it's pretty easy. You just go to teachingyoga.net. There's a link at the top that says join our community, and that will take you to a place that you can request membership. All I ask is that you, you know, you answer all the questions. I do turn down the requests where the people ignore the questions. I also work with my coaching clients on accountability in lots of different ways. So personal practice can be one of them. If that's something that a client is struggling with, I will definitely work with them on that. Most of us have mindset blocks that really, who am I kidding here? All of us, we all have mindset blocks that prevent us from clearly seeing what's actually possible in our lives. Humans are so good at surviving and we're so bad at thriving. And I think the reason for this is that the same qualities that make us good at surviving get in our way at thriving. I love working with my clients to separate out the unhelpful stories that they're telling themselves from the objective facts. Then we work with the simple neutral facts to craft a different story, which leads to different actions and different outcomes. We're all capable of doing this. And this is so exciting to me to learn how to work with the mind to influence the brain. This is my passion. The mind in this, in this situation, just to get clear on terms is the forebrain, the thinking planning part of the human brain, but the rest of the brain is so much faster and more powerful. It honestly doesn't care too much what the mind does or, or wants. However, the mind is what sets us apart from our other from other animals for better or worse. And I am really hopeful. I'm so hopeful that humans are going to learn to use our minds to manage our brains and freaking evolve already. And I believe it's happening. I do. All the yucky abusive behavior that we're learning about right now, it's always been there. This time of bringing it to awareness is our opportunity to change and to heal it. And the healing has to start on the inside. For many people, yoga is a catalyst. 
when I think about it that way, I don't feel like the world is saturated with yoga teachers. I think the, the world needs more yoga teachers. And we don't have to all, our yoga doesn't all have to look the same. We don't all have to have careers where we're bringing in money or the bulk of our money teaching yoga. We need to have people who are committed to learning to manage their own minds and to use their minds to manage their brain. The more that we can do this ourselves, the more we can help other people do it. This work is not easy. It is the opposite of easy. But it is so worth it. I hope you'll keep going with me. In the meantime, please, please make time for your personal practice. See you next week.